Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Right, how's it going? Welcome to Someone Who Isn't Me, episode 30. My guest on this one is Perry Farrell of Kind Heaven, Jane's Addiction, Porno for Pyro, Satellite Party, etc. Now, as well as being frontman, uh, singer, lyricist, etc. for all those bands, Perry is also the co-founder of Lollapalooza Festival, which was the first sort of multi-genre European-style festival in the U.S., and it since has become a worldwide thing. He's also an incredible visual artist, and his sculptures on the front of the Jane's albums, Nothing Shocking and Ritual Dello Habitual, are, are what makes those records on first glance so iconic, I think. It really had a profound effect on me. Now, since I've been doing Swim, I've had some guests on of, that I've been truly inspired by over the years and still am. Like people like, I don't know, Maynard James Keenan, Chino Marino, Alan Moore, Billy Corgan, etc. But if I'm going to be real for a minute, I wouldn't, well, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, basically, if it wasn't for Perry Farrell, because Jane's Addiction in particular had such a profound effect on me. Um, they were They were my band when I was a kid, do you know what I mean? And when I first went to see the band a play a gig um with the intention they'd already asked me if i if i'd like to join i remember going to see him play with a couple of mates and um and aside from them being really good dudes and us all getting on really well i wasn't sure whether i wanted to join the band and i went along and then also listening to the first record there's a song called winter of 96 and it really reminds me of Jane's Addiction, you know. It's been said a bunch of times when that band first started how much singer Jason sounded like like a weird cross between Perry Farrell and Sting. But there's moments where, musically as well, because the band loved Jane so much, it really came through, even though they were this kind of punk rock band. And it was what sold it for me. That's what made me join the band. And then... When I was in that band, I I was in it for eight years and there were moments where we really wore the Jane's Addiction influence on our sleeve to the point where when we recorded one song, we were like, this is too much like Jane's, we'll never get away with it. So we actually called the song Jason's Addiction as kind of like a get out of jail card. And so when people were like, that really sounds like, we'd be like, yeah, we know, that's why it's called that. Um, And if I hadn't joined A... I doubt I would have ever have been approached by BBC to host 
the rock show and if i hadn't started like working on the rock show for all this time i doubt i would have started this podcast so when i say that if it wasn't for perry farrell and dave navarro and stephen perkins and eric avery then you, you know then you wouldn't be listening to this podcast it sounds like an overly dramatic thing but like it's a butterfly effect isn't it all things in life are i guess to a certain degree so you can uh, blame him for that or um or you could also thank him because i still contend to this day that three days on ritual della habitual is one of the finest pieces of rock music ever recorded anyway so this interview was done in the afternoon before the first of two shows that perry did with his band the kind heaven orchestra at the box in london and it was for the launch of the album kind heaven and it was uh it was a really intimate thing. It was it was really exciting because it was like a gig with theatre and burlesque and snake handling and gymnastics and shibari. And yeah, it also felt really special as well because Perry's wife, Etty, is co-vocalist in the band. So there's this amazing dynamic which you don't normally get to see very often with, with artists performing like that. And it was beautiful to see an amazing gig they played um songs from kind heaven they also played a couple of jane's addiction songs porno for pyros and it was just super inclusive and and it was just an amazing vibe this is perry farrell i feel like we may end up talking about a couple of the things that we spoke about yesterday okay but as this is a separate thing i hope you don't mind well uh, just go to work okay well you're here for kind heaven for the album's release and okay. and playing the show. So let's talk about that first of all. all. Right. As with most things that you do, you know, you're a multidisciplined artist, I, I would class you as. I guess an artist is just an all-encompassing thing, but these days it generally seems to be very focused on one thing, but you've always been, you've always struck me as somebody that thinks well beyond just the confines of one one discipline, I, I guess, and and this album exemplifies that. If I could put myself into any um, category as far as the arts goes, I would think that I was a found object artist. Yeah. As my mother was a found object artist. Okay. I have a, a habit of seeing the beauty in things and wanting to utilize, you know, uh, what I'm, what's before me and wanting to kind of ride on it, take it for a ride or, or um, you know, uh, dress myself like it. Like as an example, today I was at the American Embassy. Mm -hmm. The woman was showing us around and um, the ambassadors, the yeah, American ambassadors, each one comes in with um, their own art collection. And so she was showing me on the wall, there was this uh, illustrator, his name was, oh, forget his name now. I'll get it, I'll get it to you at the end of this mm -hmm. thing. But anyway, what he did was he drew because it was maybe the 1800s, the uh, Native Americans were starting to disappear because you know, the cavalry was coming by and 
slaughtering them. And yeah. so they were at war with the Native Americans. The uh, United States Cavalry was. So this one guy decided to draw, make illustrations of the, ch of the chiefs in their ceremonial garb. And a lot of them were wearing things, you know, as you, uh, as they did back then, they traded. Hmm. So there was a lot of trading going on with British soldiers and American soldiers in that, in that, in that era. Yeah, it might have been, yeah, late 1700s, early 1800s. So the, the Indians, the American Indians, had like ruffled collars, high collars, and ruffled um, sleeves. Yeah. And then they would have, war, you know, really interesting paint, ceremonial paint on them with a mink hat and a button uh, vest, yeah. things like that. So I got off on this collection at the American Embassy so much that I took this uh, person, I, I, you know, jotted the person's name down on my phone. I went over to my friend um, Joshua Kane, who's a yeah. who's a tailor. Yeah. And I showed it to him, and I go, you know, I've been buying some things. You'll see um, at the show tonight. I'm wearing Joshua Kane's a few of his pieces. I saw him yesterday. I walked past him yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I wanted to say hello, but yeah. So anyway, I went in there, and he's like trying to show me some new things, and I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to work. I'm going to show you some pictures, Josh. Joshua, we're going to work on this next. So I, I still want you to style clothing for me, or um, I, you know, I want you to um, tailor clothes for me, but I want to riff off of what I just saw yeah. at the American Embassy, and that's what I do all day long. That's how Lollapalooza became what it is. I'm constantly spinning things that I see, found objects, yeah. found records, you know? Yeah. That's how I just, lo I just love it. I just get inspired by things. And I set about trying to make art, you know, re off, the off, off of the reflection or, or create a reflection of, the, of what I've just been engaged with. The thing with Kind Heaven that I noticed is, um I'm aware of, of the, the event space that's taking place in Las Vegas, and it's this immersive, all-encompassing environment, I guess, that you've envisioned it in, and the albums where it's been recorded in, uh, is it Dolby Atmos? Yes, Dolby called? Atmos and binaurally. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm looking at my children, and they don't, they're not listening to me because they have headphones in. So I riff off of that, and I say, well, they're going to hear me one way or the other. I'm going to get in their ears. So I mixed the album binaurally, but in the latest binaural software. So it'll sound like sounds whizzing around your head. It's not going to just be a stereo mix. Yeah. And then also, because um, my partners are in uh, Hollywood movies. They make Hollywood movies. So they sent me to uh, mix with this fellow Mark Binder at Dolby Studios to mix the album for the building. So now I can, you know, I can do deconstructed mixes or remixes, if you will, throughout the building. That's basically the soundtrack yeah. of, the, of the evening. And 
but I didn't want to stop there. So now I've got that idea, but I also have Lollapalooza. So now what my ambition is, is to take that and do that mixing in, in the life. fields of in yeah. the fields of Lollapalooza and wherever else we're going to perform next. So that's what I'm actively pursuing. Wow. What what is it about um, Southeast Asia that particularly has always been an inspiration for you? Because I, I was thinking about it. I know that there's when you were saying about the um, the environment space for for Kind Heaven. Yeah. That a lot of it is going to reflect different aspects of Southeast Asia. Yes, it, and, and you need was, a style, right? You need a style. But it I mean, it could be like anything. It, yeah, but is that something? It seems to me that you know, I was looking back, and you know, you, you have like Tahitian Moon and Bali yeah. Eyes, and it, it yeah. seems like a. What is it so so much about? Why am I drawn? Well, I, I would tell you the first time I was drawn to um, the world of Asia was. My sister had a doll collection. My mom always wanted her to love, and, she, and myself included, she wanted us both to love all races and treat everyone you know, equally. Yeah. And this was during the era of you know, yeah, equal rights and civil, civil rights movement. So my sister had this one doll that was in glass. It was a beautiful Asian doll with porcelain. She was made out of porcelain and she was dressed in, um, she had a kimono and a beautiful silk outfit on. And of all the dolls, I would always stare at that doll. And I thought that doll is the most amazing doll. That was the one doll that stuck out in my mind. I guess that's why I had a, you know, an affinity towards Asian women. Yeah, I guess from that doll. But yeah, and then and then, but the the dream that I had, um, also you know, the idea of Thailand. I've never been to Thailand, mm, but neither. but um, it's it's beautiful in my mind because it's got, it's it's decadent. Yes, but it's also very. Very, it's very powerful in its spirituality and mysticism, like um, Angkor Wat's those yeah. temples. Yeah. Oh man, Stunning. they are to be respected, and um, you know you should be in awe of of that location. So it's got this strong ma- sense of magic slash you know rel- religious magic, if you will. Um, I've gone there. F- a few times for surfing, hmm. so there's very great. There's great, you know, seas that um, have some of the best waves in the world. There, there's this one location. It's called Uluwatu, which means evil waters in Balinese. I went there to surf, and it was a probably as big as this, uh, the ceiling here, which is a good ten foot breaking perfectly and it was gnarly and scary and there was a temple on the on this cliff that you could see down you have to hike down kind of hike down this kind of you know gnarly cliff but you can watch the waves coming in from the temple Uluwatu and there's monkeys running around this temple so you know you've got this strong 
powerful magic's religious um, uh, building, you know, uh, ancient build, temple with monkeys hmm. that there's they're supposed to be holy monkeys you're not supposed to mess with them and if they steal your camera that's your biz that's your tough luck yeah and then there's these great waves that any surfer any world-class surfer would just be you know uh have a, a fear a good healthy regard for yeah. if you ate it you could get very badly hurt and then there's women down there that are trying to give you massages and the, trying to marry you off to the younger ones. So there's a strong sex, sex energy there. So all that has drawn me to Asia, Southeast Asia. And plus, the other thing about it is too, I see their, their civilization, you know, their, their civilization is a, a good five years, 5,000 years plus. Hmm. Same way as, you know, Samaria, yeah same time period you know yeah. uh, they could they could very well say original man came out of china um so could africa claim that and so could the sumerian area which is northern africa egypt Into Persia, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah 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 the, the fertile crescent yeah so i love how um i love the demeanor of the people they're very smart, but they they don't they don't um, they for the most part they keep to themselves, and it's it's odd. Of all the races, I feel that people make fun of Asian race. Mm. They f almost feel like well we can make fun of Asians. I don't know why that is. Yeah. But you know, in America, as an example, comedians they'll still make joke you know racist jokes occasionally about Asian people, you know, they've stopped doing that about black people. Yeah, of course. They don't do it about Jewish people. Yeah. But they, I don't know, for some reason, they feel that they can kind of do that about Asians, which is odd because they're very, very powerful um, race and, uh, you know, the sleeping giant. They just don't, they just don't care to get into it. They're not... Mm. They're not, uh, they're not boisterous or, you know, gaudy. They they kind of keep everything kind of in. But if you get to know them, they're very sure of themselves. They just don't feel the need to to brag or yeah. anything like that. So I I just like that. That's pretty much the, the highlights, man. Yeah, <laughs> I find a uh, very similar thing with India. India. Yeah. Yeah, very bright people. There's yeah. a good, strong um, religious, uh, religious like a religious grounding. Very grounding. like a spirit. Yeah, which yeah, very, sounds like, a, like an oxymoron, really. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. a yeah, very spiritual. Yeah. And but but beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Is. I've, I've studied. I've I've studied. You know, done comparative religion. I've read every the Gita. I've read the Gita. I've read yeah. Buddha. Um, the Dalai Lama, you know, you name it, Book of Mormon. I find it interesting that you that you said about um, the the temple, and it, and it being like a really magical place, because I think that's a really important thing in in the sense that everything you've done, each of your bands, I feel has 
a very magical element to it. And, 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 you know, that can be interpreted in different ways. People can just be like, oh, yeah, it's really magical and view that in a surface way. But I actually feel that creativity in general is it is a magical thing. Yeah. It, it, you know, you're communing with things. Yeah. And you're, and it's you're miraculous in, in certain ways. I, um, that's why I'm always, I'm so in love with the world. I, you ask my wife when we drive, you know, I cannot stop pointing things out. And it, it makes other people laugh, but I don't realize I'm doing it. But as we're driving, I just, oh my God, look at that. You see that? And just look at the juxtaposition of the parametric designs from this, you know, the um, architecture done from the parametric perspective. And I would ask my kids, you know what parametric design is? Yeah. And I'm constantly in awe of, of art and architecture. Yeah. To me, it is um, the fact that human beings, I mean, we came up with it. And science, too. Hmm. Science is just so amazing. The fact that we, and medicine. Yeah. I was thinking. How of, smart we are, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. So the why do we have. The potential for it. Boris yeah. Johnson and Donald Trump. Yeah. That's that's the big question. That's the million dollar question or the billion dollar question. Well, yeah. How did that happen? We're so smart. And really, that's what I'm. That's what I'm about discussing these days. I give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I consider people all to be my brothers and sisters. I don't think anybody's ever really against me. But, and I almost can't understand. I almost, I almost uh, live life precariously because I don't understand the true danger of things. I don't understand the true hatred that's being aimed at me from at times, you know. Yeah. Because. But then that's I, a magical worldview, isn't it? And I think that um, to be able to live that way is um, is quite a gift, because then you can make very pure art. But at the same time, yeah, it, it can also be quite a scary way to live, I can imagine. Well, I'm not sure I understand. The well, way yeah. I live, you're thinking it could be scary? No, not, not, not for yourself. Or it could be potentially dangerous yes. because I am that's, willing yeah, to I mean. talk to anybody. Like, I would talk to an uh, Islamic extremist like that tomorrow hmm. and try to uh, get something going. Yeah. Yeah, do because I that, don't. Do you think that's the problem, though? Because most people aren't prepared to do that. Yeah, I think. Here's what I think. Um, somebody was on uh, BBC yesterday speaking. It was a woman. She was an Indian woman. She was a psychologist, and she was talking about why we're in the the position we are with global warming. And she said she came from the the uh, angle of psychology. She says that mankind. As we develop our, uh, our psychology, we have not yet, we don't, we're not prepared for this issue of global warming. We, the, the industrial age hit and it, it's only 200 years old, hmm. but we have not adapted our consciousness. We are not conscious enough to adapt to the, the change that we must make. And we must make them by 2050 or we're sunk. Yeah. 
And we're looking really to do them by 2030, right? But we're far behind psychologically. Yeah. We don't have, we don't, I mean, you know, you got, you have Donald Trump, you know, for whatever you want to say about him. I think he truly does not get it. He truly does, he's not there yet. Yeah. He truly does not think that there's a bit, there's that much of a rush. Or if he does, he's just playing us because he's making deals with oil companies. Yeah. Those are well, his buddies and they're going to, you know, you're going to have these uh, guys come in and they are going to pay him off for, for shutting down uh, the, the sanctions and the rules that we have, you know, pinning the oil company down from further destroying the world. Yeah. And he's just like, ah, it's not that bad. You're, you know, whatever. He wants to make his money now. He knows his time is up. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? With most of the people that are in the situation to actually be able to, to make a true change, you know, as, as you were saying yesterday, right, we, we can let these people know that, that we need to make a change and that we're not prepared to stand for it. We can't. But, we but can't. We can't. I mean, like, you know, we, it's going to come down to if you have to arrest us, arrest us. Hmm. But that is never going to change the, the facts that we are screwing things up royally. Yeah. You can try to put your hand over my mouth all you want, but the word is out and the proof is in the pudding. We're sweating our asses off. Yeah. Yeah, but then that's it, isn't it? It's all those little little incremental ways that it's, that it's top. It's like, oh, it's gonna be two degrees hotter. And, and, and it, you know, to most people, they're like, well, that sounds great. No, I heard that it's going to now, it's, it's three degrees. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and it's exponentially growing. The more we don't act, mm -hmm. it exponentially is like, okay, because you haven't learned your lesson, now it's going to be worse on you. Now it's going to be worse and worse and worse. And it's like one of those things. It's like a body that has a knot, right? And it needs a massage. But so it ignores the fact and so the body to compensate, now you have you walk two in. knots. Yeah. Because your body's compensating, the muscles are compensating. And these knots are just going knot upon knot upon knot until you're almost, you're almost gonna need an operation now, which is the last thing you should ever think to do, mm. to undo this because now your spine is twisting. And that's where we're at, we're at where it's getting so bad that I don't know if we can, I mean, we can stop it if we do it in the next five years. That's would why I'm saying we gotta vote these guys out now. This is the thing, I was thinking about this the other day, when there was the fire at, um, at Notre Dame, right? Which mm -hmm. was a tragedy because obviously it's an incredible, beautiful building and it's a testament to the things that we can make right, right now, right. regardless of when it was first built. Right. It, you know, it's, it's this beautiful edifice to, to to everything that we can achieve, right? right? And it was and it was a spiritual place. When it burnt down, people rushed in from corporations to donate money. And it, you'd like to think that it was because because they thought it was such a tragedy. But I also think it was the fact that when this place is going to be rebuilt, there'll be a blue plaque on the of wall. Of course. You know, Why do you think Trump moved uh, the the um, embassy 
to Jerusalem. To me, there's a nice big golden calf hanging on the wall. Jewish people shouldn't have allowed him to be so ostentatious with that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I, I, I didn't feel good about it at all. But yes, I agree with you. And do you know now that they're saying that the, the ceiling is in danger of caving in? At oh, Notre Dame because no, of the yeah because of the heat is causing the roof to sag yeah something crazy is going on right now because of global warming mm. it's it's causing the uh, structural damage but my my point was that in the, in that short space of time the amount of money that was sort of bequeathed to to rebuild it it's like they could easily that could have that same amount of money could, could have. have cleaned up half of the garbage of dump course. that's floating right. in the ocean. So you see it's possible, exactly. Yeah. Right. But, but no one's going to get a plaque floating in the ocean, are they? Right. And especially when half those companies right. are tied in with... Right. Um, yeah. you, you raise a very good point. Uh, most people, that's how they operate. They operate vengloriously. They want... Yeah. They want, like... And here's the thing about charity that I... I was taught when you do charity, when you do things for people, you you should definitely not brag about it. Yeah. But you don't you don't really even talk about it, and it should hurt. And you you should do it because it's the right thing to do, and the universe knows about it, and yeah. it just that's the way it goes. And rich people, especially rich people, should be doing charity. I think that this whole system, this tax the system of taxation that we have is so twisted and demented that the richest people start getting these tax loopholes where they escape ever having to even pay tax. I feel that those people should pay more tax than anybody. They should pay their employees more than anybody. You know what I mean? Minimum yeah. wage, forget about it. You should blow that right out. If you're working for a company like... Uh, you know Amazon they should ex, you know price fix the people that work for him for them it should be like if you're working for it, for that guy and he's making several billion dollars a day you should come along for the ride yeah and he should and he should give back a certain percentage of it here's how I would do it this is how I would fix price um, ta tax the world Every do, everybody does 10% across the board. So if you made $100, 10% of 100. If you made 10 billion, 10% uh, of 10 billion. Yeah. W what's wrong with that? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And is it gonna stress a guy who's a billionaire to give 10% of 10 billion? Well, how much money does he need? Well, that's the question on it, it for everything, isn't it? It's, I think, once you fall into that trap of how much is ever enough, well, they're, they're supposed to be Christians, right? Why do you think, why do you think they hated Jesus? Because he went and threw, knocked over the lenders' tables, yeah. the banks. Mm. They were hanging out right in the front of the temple. And he was like, get, fucking, get lost. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's funny. Um, I heard you say a thing about, um, about one of the, the reasons that these the people that are, that are the real problem right now is because they've never worked, never worked a job. They've never... Right. They have no empathy. Yeah. 
How, Why, could, how could they? They don't have a reference. Mm. You know, you, you get abused long enough, you know what it is to be abused, and you, you know, you, can, you start to gain empathy. When you've worked for your money. Yes, you know how hard it was to get. Mm. You can really empathize with the guy who's struggling to earn a living, be a family guy. Yeah. But a guy who's got in a, guy had it all, ne no one ever said no, and then he surrounds himself, buys out the, uh, judici uh, the, the uh, judicial system. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, we are at the worst, most critical time. It, it's going to be amazing. I, you, I can't wait to get through it. I just, I just don't want the last years of my life to be spent fighting the, with these people. I want to, I want to, here's what I want to see happen. 5,000 years our society, our, our civilization has, we're almost, we're coming up on 6,000 years of our civilization, Sumerian civilization, right? But yeah, that's, that again, that's all consensus opinion, isn't it, as well? No, I mean, I can tell you the, the Torah, uh, Egypt, that was all... A, about 6,000 years ago. Yeah, but then they're, they're now finding things that don't fit within that timeline, like in Gobekli Tepe, and they're, they're excavating Even that. further it's, back? Yeah, and it's okay, like 10,000 years. Okay, and, great. Okay, yeah. so, but here's my point. That's fine. I, I, would, I would be very interested to listen and learn about that. Yeah. But my point is more that, so you have these people fighting. They've been fighting, right? They mentioned it, David was fighting Goliath. Philistia, the Philist Philistines, yeah. were the Palestinians. They were sailors. They came from Greece, sailed down, and lived around that area. And they've been living in that area along with the Israelites, fighting. And we're so smart, right? We're such a smart race, us human beings. We have language. 
We, we, can, we, we dress ourselves. We have television. We have airplanes. We have architecture, you know. Incredible medicine. We, we put cameras down into, our, into veins yeah. and can go through veins to, to discover diseases and, and clear out uh, arteries, right? So that Mick Jagger can go do another tour. Yeah. But we cannot solve two neighbors fighting each other. Hmm. And I would love to see in my lifetime, because I really feel we're, we're all capable of it. Don't you? We're all capable of it. I mean, yeah, I, think I have not met a person that I don't, I honestly have never met a person that I didn't think could kind of like come to his senses. Yeah. A lot of people would say that's idealism, though, wouldn't they? I agree with you personally, but yeah, it's a, it's a it is such a tough one, man, because it seems like there's so much. Everybody, well, I was going to say invested, and that's quite literally it. But they've invested so much in in making sure that doesn't happen. Well, I just see good in people. I don't know. That's what it is. Yeah, like, I I like to. See, I, you know, a redneck, I just look at him going, man, you're a, look at this handsome, rugged dude. And you know, he's just like a, a man of the earth, you know, works with his hands or works with animals, could be a farmer, you know, could be a cowboy. I don't see, I don't see a guy who's a slave owner, slave owner or a, or a, a racist, you know? Yeah, because that's And it always what... surprises me. Yeah. Because that's, they're all things that are taught, aren't they? Huh? Those, you, no one's born right. with the, of the opinion that they're going to be better than, than, than whoever's in right. the crib next to them. Right. You know? And, and that, that's how it needs to change, I think. But then it seems to me, you know, I'm a father, I've got two kids, and, and, and I see that... Um, <laughs> I was going to start singing, the children are our future. But the thing is, you know, it seems like well, these days they, they're coming, they're, they're coming through, and, and, and kids aren't—they're not as compartmentalized with their with their thoughts on anything, you know, in their musical taste, in what they, you know, the the fashion sense, in 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 who the, who they can be friends with, and how they can present themselves, you know. I look at kids and I see potential. Yeah. Even in every single kid, I you know, even if they're starting to become a jerk. You know, like you look at them and go, oh, the kid's starting to become a jerk. You look at the parents, they're definitely jerks. Yeah. But then I always think to myself, I just wish that this kid could get away from his parents because this kid has potential. He's yeah. smart, you know, funny. Yeah. Um, seems like he's got a, a kind spirit, you know, but, but you're right. That's the danger of having leaders yeah. th with that are shall we say, uh, they should, just shouldn't be leaders. Yeah. These people that are... Narrow worldviews. Yeah. How can you lead the world when you've got a narrow worldview? Right. That's how I think. Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something more cheery. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I wanted to speak some more about your music. Okay, great. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, as I told you yesterday, James was such a... Such a, a powerful um, like influence on my life when I was a kid because I think I said it yesterday that there there was this 
amongst me and my friends there was almost like this mythology around the band because it you know you so represented and encompassed LA at that time mm. and and it was and it was presented in such an artful way but that was that was that was the other side of the planet to me but not just mm. the, in distance it was another world and yet you know I, I remember listening to the records and 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 watching soul kiss and mm. uh, and you know dressing mm. as i saw you you and the, and the band and and um got loads of shit for it for being in like this small town in the uk but it didn't oh. matter because that was all part of making me who i am and yeah, and, uh, yeah kind of feels good to stand out uh when you feel like there's a movement yeah underfoot you know yeah and and that's that's the thing with any kind of subculture isn't it i think the thing is that that people gravitate towards the ones that that resonate most with them and yeah i just yeah your van was that for me (laughs) thank you um and and i'm excited that um you know on this on this run of shows that you're doing with kind heaven orchestra you're playing jane songs and you're playing the new record and you're playing porno songs I, i think it's really exciting does it, does it, um, do you kind of differentiate between all these things or is it all just, all just part of the same thing for you? Yeah, I, do you know what I mean, trying to say? Yeah, I like to, it's like a closet filled with clothing. Yeah. And I don't like to, I don't like the idea necessarily of getting rid of the clothes because, you know, yeah. The style will come back around. And what I like to do is just every piece, is a good piece and then you can if you're in a rush you can throw on anything yeah and that's what I like to do musically you know I just take pack my bags with all the music that we've made and I I always count my lucky stars that I could have affected people in my life so that they actually were affected the way I'm affected by the great architecture that I see or the great you know, style of, of people, yeah. um, great inventions. When when people uh, come up and say, you know, I just want to tell you that you affected my life. Yeah, um, that's I think trip, like right? it's almost almost it's it's almost to in my mind it almost feels like it's impossible to do. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It's very it's so difficult to actually make music that is heard uh, by the world and that they love, and when I mean love, that they will accept in their heart. Yeah. Because when you're making it, you never, that's never the... Well, you don't know if it's possible. That's why I'm saying it it always amazes me and astounds me uh, that, that people would be affected by it because music is 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 very um i it is very medicinal to me you can yeah. you can give somebody a song and it can make them sick it can make them sick by how aggressive it is it could also make them sick how how um lame and un uncreative and and un um and unartistic it is. In other words, like some of the pop that I would hear, 
yeah. sometimes actually makes me sick because it, it tries my patience and it makes me feel like, um, they, do they think that I'm an idiot? And that hurts, it literally hurts my being. Some bad music, right? On the other hand, great music can inspire you to change your whole life and outlook. It's magical. And become a different person and raise your spirits, raise your intellect. So not that I shoot for that because it's something you almost can't shoot for. You just have to do your thing hmm. and that's just the result. It's kind of like charity. Yeah. You're not supposed to boast about it, you know what I mean? Yeah. If it happens, you just know that it was a good thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Do you know what I was thinking about the other day when I'm, when I first um, was listening to the record, it was when I got to Snakes Have Many Hips. That's the track title, isn't it? I'm so bad with song titles. Snakes Have Many Hips, yeah. Okay. And the vibe of it, it instantly made me think back to, to sitting in my parents' house watching the VHS. When you're describing Jane's and, and, uh, and you said, uh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I won't get the quote right, but I believe you said it's like I would describe us as being like Duke Ellington meets the bad brains. Yeah. And, uh, and it's funny because when I was listening to that song, it had such a, a feeling of mm -hmm. like those old, you know, like the old I big love, band, yeah. band leader. I love 1940s era. Yeah. Kansas City, New Orleans, New York, Chicago. Yeah. That period is when jazz was first being formed, you know, Charlie Parker. And yeah. Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and yeah. you know, Lester Young, the list goes on and on and on. But those cats, the way they went about being a musician is what I'm aspiring toward in this group and for the rest of my life. I want to be known as a great musician. Yeah. Oh, well, that, and, I, I and don't think you need to worry about that. Well, I, think, I think that box has definitely been ticked well, thank several you. times over. But, but yeah. in my mind, I still have, uh, I have still a few years to go. Yeah, yeah. of course. But, but that's, that's because you're an artist and you should never rest on those things. Right. But yeah, I found it funny that it just seemed like it had almost come full circle. To, like uh, from an outside perspective that it was still that was still a driving force for sure you know yeah more than ever yeah um, I'm reading a book now Mr. Crouch is, I believe his name is Lester Crouch uh-huh he's a jazz writer okay he only writes about jazz yeah I think his last name is Crouch for sure Stanley Crouch okay do you know no no him? no you've got to read his check um, out. his novels this one is about Charlie Parker and his whole life. And of course, so it, it starts out in Kansas City and this guy goes so deep and extensively about the people that Charlie was playing around, including his, his wife and his mom and the living conditions in Kansas City hmm. and how they, they would go up, uh, each band, the, the players, it was almost like they were 
athletes where they, you know, one guy would get up there and do a solo, and the other guys would be watching him going like, whoa. Like it was now a challenge. Got, it was yeah. a challenge. Yeah. And, and they uh, spent their whole life, hours and hours, just honing their craft until they became what they, you know, what they were, which is they created jazz, which yeah. is this amazing art form that, um, yes, you need to know uh, literally the, the um, scholastic... Um, the technicality. Technicalities of, of music, but to be truly great, it's the improvisational aspects yeah. that make you a legend yeah and make you you know that unforgettable communing with something beyond yes because you go into the super unknown mm. and you're you're asked and you're called upon to draw it down before people well that's what it is that's what i always view all art as but music you know yeah. in particular it's the music it's happening right before your eyes whereas yeah. an artist at least he could stand back and He's in his place and he's got the time, but... But that's the thing, isn't it? Because the time is just goes... Yeah. When you're making art or making music, time becomes so immaterial and you yeah. realize it's a construct. And you never, you never have enough time. Like they always tell me, my records, have, my wife always says, you know, you always, your records are always done when you run, run out of time. You've never handed an album in on time. Yeah. She reminded me. It's always you've run out of time, and so the, the record has to end. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, when is the painting finished? Right. That's, yeah. There's, there's one last thing I, I really wanted to speak to you about because I feel like, you know, I'm aware that I'm taking up your time. But um, there was something that I heard you say the other day, and this, this kind of relates to what I'm was getting at then about art being something where you are you're a conduit for other things and, and you're um, yeah like you're you're almost like an antenna bringing things through you and that was something you said about um, about conversing with an angel would you be happy to talk about that you want you want me to tell you more about it yeah because I found it fascinating because I feel that um, most people really um, they shy away from um, actually telling people about that. Well, not just that, but um, you know, th there is there are magical things around us all the time. Yeah, and and it's almost that um, people have this this like blinkers on of of um, rational thought where right. they, where they 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 were like, well, that can't have been what just right. happened, right? Right. Do you agree? Right. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. Well, so, yeah, so this happened in 1994, and yeah, I didn't really talk about it, but to my closest, my dearest, um, my family, I told my, I called my sister the next day, and I called my brother the next day. I hadn't spoken to them in years, and I've always felt like, you know, I shouldn't really talk about it because people already think I'm strange, and then they'll think that I'm Does that whatever. matter? Well, now it doesn't matter. Mm. I've kind of come to, um, I've come to believing that you should not be ashamed 
where you shouldn't be shy about talking about things like that because they probably happened because they wanted me to, to talk about it. Yeah. And by me not talking about it... You're almost not fulfilling the... Yeah, I'm not fulfilling what they, what they would like me to fulfill, which is, I think what they wanted me to do is to tell people yeah. that, that that dimension exists because it, it, in the end, helped me. It helped me, although it's taken me all this time to, to feel comfortable and to tell people about it and actually make art with it. Yeah. But up until now, it was something I would forget. And then I'd remember and I would go like, wow, I just couldn't, I just couldn't block it out of my mind. Hmm. But if you want me to tell you more of what happened, yeah, like a little do. bit more about the details. Yeah. So I was living in Venice Beach with this young girl and her, her son. And yes, we were really into drugs. I was almost at my worst. I was, you know, speedball addict. Mm. Um, and I was in porno for pyros. And uh, she was a very strange girl. Her family, her father, her father had molested her with her mother at a very young age. And then her stepfather was a dent was a dentist and he was really they were all doing drugs in the house and i think they were having incestual relationships incestuous relationships and she was not right i mean uh you can imagine if you're a little child and you're molested mm. by your parents so she would she would tell me often like she was having sex with somebody that we'd met. Like she would just tell me these stories, and I think to try to get me jealous, hmm. to try to keep me around. So as a result, I was starting to lose my mind. I, I was starting to think that she was having sex with all these people. And I actually confronted her parents about them molesting her, and they, they did. A father, the father who was, um, he was a, a Chinese mafia, but still, you know, I was with her, and I confronted him because it was, she had lost her mind about it, you know what I mean? She was never gonna be the same. Hmm. And he actually broke down and cried, and said, well, I was molested when I was a, a young child. I'm like, that doesn't give you the, the license to go and molest hmm. other people. Anyway, the reason I'm telling you that part of it is because when my mother came to me, uh, one of the things I asked her was, is so-and-so, I won't tell you the girl woman's name, is she cheating on me? And my mother told me she's not cheating on you. And, and then she said, and so-and-so, her son, is an angel. So that was some of the things she said. She so started. This was your mother talking through. Yeah, through, through her, her, through her. While she was she asleep. She was asleep, hmm. and then she sat up, and she'd never met my mother. Obviously, my mother died in nineteen, in the same year as Kennedy, and uh, Martin Luther King, around that around that period. Hmm. 
60, 61, 60, I can't, you know, I, I don't remember the exact year, but, um, and I didn't know my mother played Mahjong, and I hadn't spoken to my sister in a few years. So anyway, so the, the conversation went like this. She said something like, parrots, parrots, it's your mother. And she sounded like a woman from Brooklyn, like a Jewish woman from Brooklyn. Hmm. Parrots, it's your mother, like that. Like she sounded like my sister, honestly. So when I, call my, when I speak to my sister, it's just like nice because it's yeah. the closest thing I could get to my mother's voice. Hmm. And then I went, Mom? And I was looking at her into her eyeballs and her eyeballs were shining and smiling as if my mother was looking through the woman, the young girl, at me. Hmm. She had a nice smile. And the, the young girl that I was with, she couldn't have faked uh, my mother's accent, number one. Hmm. She never, she was not an, an artist in that way. Uh, she, as I told you, she, she like very rarely spoke because she was traumatized. Um, I loved her, you know, but we, we did a lot of drugs and just wasn't a, you know, the way I was living was not good. Hmm. My mother said, it's, it's, it's me, your mother. I, I go, mom, mom, she said, yeah, I'm looking right at you. You look like your father, but if you could see me, you'd know you was mine. And then I went like, "What are you? What are you doing here?" And she said, um, "We are very proud of you." So there was a we. Hmm. I couldn't see anything. I can only see my girlfriend talking to me. Yeah. And she was sitting upright. And then I said, um, I, I love you so much, you know, I miss you so much. And she said, I miss you too. And I said, you know, where are you? And she said, uh, I'm in a, a place. She said, I travel around the world. And I, I travel the world and I'm very tired, but I, do, I never get to rest. And I said, well, what can I do? I want to help you. Can I, can I talk to God? And she said, no, sweetheart, you can't. So I never forget that. She hmm. told me that I couldn't speak to God. Now, I don't know. She didn't say God is around, but you can't speak to him. So every day of my life, I think, is there, is there God? You know, because that's a question we all have. Yeah. Anyway, so I said, well, look, Mom, I said, can I speak? To, yeah, I said, can I speak to God? Can I help you get out? And she said, no, sweetheart, you can't speak. You, you can't. I go, well, then who, who, do I, who can I speak to? Who knows? And she said, your soul knows. And then I said, I asked her, I said, is so-and-so cheating on me? And she said, she's not che cheating on you. And, and her son is an angel. Hmm. 
And then she said, yeah, I told you, she said, I said, who, who, who can help me? Who knows? She said, your soul knows. Yeah. Okay, then, oh, I, said, I asked her, why did you kill you? That's what it was. I asked her, why, why did you do that? Why did you kill yourself? And she started crying, and she said, I was desperate. I was desperate. Like, she felt terrible, and especially terrible trying to excuse herself to talk to me. Because yeah. I was only three years old, three and a half. So I felt bad even asking it, but I had to ask it. I mean, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Why did you do that? Like, what made you do that? And so the last thing she, she said, so-and-so is, is waking up, sweetheart, I have to go. It just happened like, uh, like that. She goes, I have to go. Hmm. So-and-so is waking up. She's about to wake up, and I have to, I have to go. But, I, and then she, but then I heard her almost as if she was taking, listening to somebody tell her what to do, said to me, I want you to call your sister tomorrow and ask her to give you my Mahjong set. And I said, all right, I will. I love you. I love you. And then my girlfriend went like this, and she passed back out onto the bed, and then kind of like came out of it just at the same time as if, like, you know, when a person comes out of a doctor, the dentist, Hmm. They're kind of like that groggy. Groggy, yeah. She looked just like that, my girlfriend did. Wow. And she didn't know that it happened, but she felt like something. She, she was like, ah. Like some kind of, like, it was, I wouldn't say painful, but like something had, but she, she didn't have any clue about it. Did you say? Yeah, I said, did you know, did you know what just happened to you? Did you? Did you know that you were talking to me as my mother? And she didn't know what I was talking about, and she just kind of went back to sleep. She didn't go like, no, I didn't do that. Like, nothing. Yeah. She just was tired. So she's like, uh, like we were shooting speedballs. So, so does that, give that was the end of the night. Well, you know, the thing was I said, she said, we are very proud of you. And I had to think about that. Why would she say that? Yeah. Could they go fat back and forth through time? In other words, is time not what we are locked into? The time that we are locked into, space and time continuum. That's just how we perceive it. Exactly. They can operate, go quicker and slower and back and forth, almost as if... Like, as we're going through time, they can maybe speed ahead. Mm. Yeah, because we view it as a linear thing, because... Right. But we're not in their dimension. So this is where I get all my... How I see the world today is from that, from that time. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. That's a great place to finish. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Someone Who Isn't Me, episode number 30. Thank you to Perry, also to Andy Hipkiss, 
for helping to sort that out. Also, big up Emma for um, for reintroducing us. It was a pleasure to sit down with Perry two days in a row because previously, the day before, he'd been into Radio 1 and recorded a feature for The Rock Show, which was brilliant. Yeah, I felt like... Um, I felt like I've broken through now. Like we'd met before and done interviews, but now I don't know. I think it's these podcasts which really feel like I can make a connection with people. So that was a, it was a beautiful thing to experience. You should check out the album by Perry Farrell called Kind Heaven. If you haven't ever listened to Jane's Addiction as well, just please go and listen to Ritual Dello Habitual immediately. You know that that band is. As much as I've been going on about what a huge influence those records were on me, um, they're also a huge influence on people like Deftones and Tool and Rage Against the Machine and System of a Down and Jeff Buckley. Like You listen to Grace and there's moments that really, really sound like Jane's Addiction. So yeah, go check them out. Perry can be found on Instagram at Perry Farrell Official. On Twitter, it's just Perry Farrell. I'm at Daniel P. Carter on both of those. And the podcast is at Swim Podcast on both. Also, if you could take a minute to leave a review on iTunes, just a few kind words and click five stars, that would be much appreciated because it does make a difference. If you enjoyed any of these podcasts, just show a bit of love. That would be great. Um, it would only take you a second and um, it would be much appreciated. So spread the love. Thank you again. I am out. Peace. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.